Welcome to the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host Robert Rogi. And on today's episode, we will talk with Swati Narval. Swati is the global category purchaser of professional services at Inca Group, which is better known as IKEA. She has an international and quite diverse background in multiple industries such as banking, IT, retail and education. And before entering her current position, she was IKEA's localization program leader for six years. Besides her role there, she's also passionate about diversity, women empowerment and leadership. And as a result of her engagement, she actually has recently been awarded the Language Industry Person of the Year Award by the Think Global Forum. And she was also recognized as a future female leader of Sweden in 2020. So welcome to the show, Swati, and congratulations on your award. Thank you so much, Tanya. Really happy to be here. Cool. You know, we'd like to hear a lot about your role as a global category purchaser of uh, professional services. But before we get started with that, we were wondering if maybe you could kind of like share your story, like your background story. Yes, of course. So I come from uh, Delhi, which is the capital city of India. And I have been born and brought up there, had done my education. So I'm an engineer, electronics and communication engineer. I never worked in that domain, though. Worked in IT industry for a while. Then I did my master's uh, MBA in uh, HR and marketing. Worked as an HR manager in India. And then I moved to Sweden almost seven and a half years ago in 2012, late 2012. And since then, I have been working in IKEA, well, IKEA is not a company, so this is one clarification I wanted to make in here, that I work for Inca Group, which is the largest franchisee of IKEA brand. So IKEA is a brand, there is no company called IKEA. And I am based now in Malmo, Sweden, the southern part, which is the third largest city in Sweden, very close to Denmark. And I live here with my small dog. And uh, yeah, that's it. Now working Inca procurement as category purchaser. Cool. Thank you. And it's actually a really good fact to know that IKEA as such is just a brand. I don't think many people are aware of this, or at least I wasn't. Yeah, um, me either. Like, uh, yeah. No, oh, this is something that I've tried <laughs> to uh, enlighten in a lot of my presentations in the last few years. This is a very little known. Uh, fact that there is no brand. We are a franchise company. The franchisor is based in Netherlands and the franchisees, we are 11 in total. And Inca Group, which used to be called as IKEA Group before, but we call ourselves as Inca Group now. And Inca stands for ING, Inguar, and KA Kamprad, so who's the, who was the founder of IKEA. So that's what it stands for. Right, right, right. But the manufacturing of the furniture is done centrally, I would assume, right? Somehow. Yes. So the furniture, uh, the production range, the products, the supply, that all belongs to the franchisor. So the concept and the brand, how it should be perceived, how the store should look like, it all belongs to the franchisor. And then they sell the rights to different franchisees. Inca Group is present in 30 countries right now. Then we are in majority of the European countries, if you can, if you would like to take that as an example. And North America, Canada, China, Japan, and South Korea, Australia, and India. So the other countries you might 
say they are belonging to other franchising groups, but we are the largest. 90% of the stores belong to us. Wow, that's huge. Cool. So can you tell us a bit more about your role then? I believe you've recently changed to, to being the global category purchaser. What exactly does that entail? And also, is that a new position, like a new role that was created for you? Or has it been around before? So I moved to this role on 1st of March, and it belongs to Inca Procurement. And procurement, as you can imagine, it's a purchasing organization that does both the direct and indirect materials uh, sourcing. So I belong to the professional services team, which has three categories, HR services, consultancy, and finance. And I am responsible under the HR services category. It is uh, not a new position, but my role is responsible for three topics or three focus areas, which is leadership development, learning, and competence development. We did not have a global level uh, purchaser for these three topics, and it was taken care of in different countries, in different places, in different functions, but not globally consolidated or coordinated. So coming to this role, which is sort of new, it is quite challenging <laughs> at the same time. It is very entertaining and fun because I get to hear, I get to learn a lot about what's going on, what are the future plans for leadership development or for the competence development of uh, our co-workers, which is 160,000 plus co-workers as of today. Mm -hmm. Wow. What are some of the strategies then for, for leadership learning and competence development? Like, uh, is this something you do for everyone in the IKEA franchise, the Inca Group franchise, or is it something you just do for like people in the office or yeah, how does that work? So my role is not responsible for the other franchisees or the franchisors. So I'm responsible for my franchisee group, which is Inca Group. And the topics that I'm working on, I work very closely with people and culture team, which used to be called as HR team before, but we have renamed it. It is called people and culture now. There are different center of expertise, depending on if it is talent management, if it is co-worker management, if it is uh, leadership. So there are different, different topics under there. And we work very closely on global level. So you can think of it as a group approach when you're planning. So all the 30 countries don't need to worry about what vendors to choose, which kind of strategic plans do we need to create, what kind of long-term initiatives we need to create. So the majority of that content, majority of that strategy is created on the global level, on the group level. And then of course, it has to be fine-tuned as per the local country needs, because the training needs can differ. There might be need of English language lessons in some countries, whereas in US or UK, that is taken for granted that everybody would speak English. The same could be for very function-specific trainings as well, that safety trainings might and, and labor law trainings might differ. And leadership trainings depend on which level of the organization you are. So if you are a very, very senior leader, you might require another focus on what kind of capabilities you would like to develop. But if you are a co-worker, maybe you would want to self-develop yourself with self-learning programs, online programs. 
So it depends where you are in the organization, but this role or but the, the work we are doing is for the many co-workers. Mm -hmm. So just so I understand this right, your work is mainly like internally, right? Just because like I'm thinking like the professional services, that just mean the new employees you have and the vendors as well, or are we just talking internal training and development? No, so it is uh, going towards external. So collecting the needs from internal stakeholders. So if somebody says we want a leadership development program, okay, then they come to the procurement team and then we start doing the sourcing activity, looking for what kind of uh, companies, agencies, consulting, consulting companies, academic institutions are there who can provide us that particular resource. So then I do the sourcing of those activities based on the needs that we have collected. So it is both. So doing the internal stakeholder management as well as the external vendors we need to bring in for the right. partnership. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So we're, we're obviously living in interesting times. And like, how has like the coronavirus and COVID-19 affect your work? Do you find yourself like trying to resource like crisis management sort of learning courses or a different type of leadership course or material? The COVID has actually uh, triggered some very interesting programs that were there as part of the curriculum, but not on top of the list. So unlike many other companies, we are putting a lot of emphasis and focus on mind resilience, self-care, take immunity booster. How do you ensure that you are taking care of not just yourself, but people around you, your teens, your families? So these are the programs that we are investing quite heavily on right now. So there are leadership webinars, which are for the senior leaders, but then there are webinars which are available for all the co-workers as well, which is very simple, like 15 minutes mindfulness training or mind resilience training that you would do to ensure that you can overcome this challenge because nobody knows what COVID is uh, going to, you know, how, how it is going to impact in the long run. No, nobody can guess that, but we can prepare ourselves both as a person, as a professional also. So the range of learning programs and needs have actually increased at this time. And we have we have already delivered quite a lot of those needs with some of the partners that were there before, but some of them were sourced later on. And we already have high plans for upcoming months as well and the year. So what do you look for in service providers? Are there any certain KPIs that are or like criteria that, that always comes up that you look for? So when we look for the potential vendors, I would call them as partners because we want them to be our long-term partner for growth. And we believe in the philosophy that when we grow, you grow together with us. And it's not one year or short term. We, we really want it to be for a very, like a lifelong relationship. And I'm not talking about the ones that are on the product side. You know, there are suppliers that provide us mattresses or cotton and those I'm not talking about that because I'm part of the professional services. So those are like really long term. Uh, but the ones that we work with, they need to be really proactive as well as uh, be able to challenge us. But the first thing that we look for is the alignment in the values. 
that IKEA has, and all the franchise group, doesn't matter where you belong within IKEA, the values like togetherness, cost consciousness, simplicity, those are the things that we look for in potential vendors to begin with. If the mindset or the values don't match, then there is no long-term relationship. You cannot guarantee that. Then the other things that we look for is how well they are in terms of the specialty or the service specialization that they can provide, whether it's tools, whether it's platforms, whether it's services, what is the special niche that they can provide? And the other thing is the transparency and the trust, because if it's not there, if we can't have an open and honest discussion, then you cannot have this long-term relationship that we talk about. So personally, I'm very, very open whenever I give feedback, both positive as well as constructive. And I expect the same from the vendors as well. So definitely the values, being proactive, being the niche specialization holder, and the trust and the transparency. These are our top categories. And then we, of course, have other KPIs, but it depends on which service or which category are you talking about? Is it recruitment? Is it uh, temporary staff? Is it fleet mobility or is it competence development? So as you can imagine, under HR services, there are so many of those. So you can't have one set of KPI always. So we define depending upon each category, but also depending upon which uh, kind of vendor are we going to work with. Yeah, I just think that's all really cool. Like my corporate experience is pretty limited. I worked for Hewlett Packard uh, for a while before I started my own business. And I think it's really cool that that's one of the perks of, of working in, in the corporate world is you can really get these kinds of benefits, this kind of training. But yeah, it's huge. How many of these providers would you say that you work with in an average year? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that is one challenge that we have uh, within Inca Group right now, that we have too many vendors. And this is one activity that we are doing to consolidate as much as possible to have the quality over quantity. That's the idea we have. So I can't divulge the exact number because they're in thousands. Uh, but hopefully in a few years time, we'll be able to actually name some of the bring it down to a few number. But again, depending on the category, in some you will still have to have few more than the others and um, vice versa. Does that mean that some of your vendors are going to be increasingly global, would you expect? Yes, definitely. That's the direction we foresee that even if there is a small vendor, perhaps they can work under the umbrella of a global vendor. So the time to create, uh, to maintain that relationship to 100 different, we can maintain with five different vendors, but still get the same level of relationship and collaboration with the local ones if it is possible. So it has to be taken care of um, on a case-to-case -case basis. I can't give a very generic answer because I don't know for which category we will be able to do a global approach, but definitely, for example, recruitment, you can try. And then there will be some special local needs where you would need to bring in the local expertise or recruitment experts or agencies in there. So it has to be case to case basis, but we are trying to make it more and more global. Mm -hmm. So as this podcast is a lot about translation and localization, let's talk about that a little bit as well in terms of 
your language service providers? I suppose you're outsourcing or do you have the team internally? We are outsourcing now. So when I started six years ago, then we had a lot of internal translators as well. But we have gone through transformation within the company. We have done some reorganization. And now we have one person per country called localization specialist in non-English speaking countries. A majority of them are there. And we have started to outsource as much as we can. So I can imagine like 90% of the work would be outsourced as of today. Yeah, like, and that kind of ties into what you were saying earlier about trying to manage fewer vendor relationships, because I think that's the same strategy a lot of people are taking with their relationships with different LSPs. We've heard that a lot, that uh, people want to have fewer vendors. Yeah, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Who can guess that maybe this is not the right strategy? Maybe five years' time, we will decide, okay, we would like to have freelancers. Maybe we would like to in, in how, to do translations in-house again comparatively if, if it is cheaper who knows so this is like most like test and trial but i already in my experience i could sense that it was impossible for a few people in-house to take on the workload that was coming from different parts of ikea the kind of translation work that was coming mm. and uh, the expertise sometimes that is required for very niche and specific content type like legal or food, highly regulatory environment um, material, that was impossible for somebody who has just a linguistic background to translate or localize. I can use that word. Uh, I prefer localization over translation. Uh, so it depends where your company or organization is in the localization maturity model. But for us at this moment or at that moment, we already saw that outsourcing would be much beneficial compared to keeping the internal uh, translators. But we definitely want to do the review. We would like to keep an eye on the content, what goes out, because it's a lot about how do you communicate or convey your message in English, what we have created or Swedish English, as we call it, into the rest of the languages. You, you, you both are in the localization industry, so you understand what I mean by the word localization. It has to convey the actual meaning, but you cannot use the same joke or some slang. You can't do that in the rest of the languages. So it has to be adapted accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, too, because like when I think of localization of like retail or, for example, like McDonald's, like you always think about like, oh, yeah, like McDonald's has these stores and it's also a franchise. Right. And but they change their product for the different markets. But Ikea, at least to me, it seems like from a product standpoint in the different countries I've been in, the products remain largely the same. Is that true? I can't answer on behalf because the product localization goes uh, to the franchisor side. So I can't answer right. on behalf of them. But what I can tell, which is the public knowledge also, I was responsible for the content localization, which is different mm. than the product. But depending upon the market, yes, the products differ. So on an average, 60 to 70% would be the same, but 30 to 40% would differ based on for example, in India, if you take it, 
we are, uh, I'm from India, so I know that we are not used to so much of fork and knife, but we use different size of spoons. Mm-hmm. So rather than providing different fork and knife options, IKEA India has uh, given the products, uh, like including all the different sizes of spoons. That's one. Then the sizes of beds and kitchen cabinets, US versus Europe, you know, how big the houses and cars in US are. So everything that they have is a major size compared to European sizes. So they differ also. So you can't compare that. You can't have the same bed uh, from Europe and ship it to US and try to fit in the bedding in there or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great, great example. example. That is so, so true. true. <laughs> yeah. And then we have like different seasonal ranges that come out also based on festivals, which are local, different uh, times of the year as well. Uh, different cultures, traditions, so it differs. So 60 to 70% would be majorly same, but 30 to 40 would definitely be localized. But it is all taken care of by the franchisor side. So you were, I mean, you were there from localization department from 2014, I believe, right? So you were there throughout the whole change of outsourcing everything. What else has changed since then? And also, what did that process look like of going through this outsourcing process and onboarding an LSP? So we were outsourcing to only one when I started, but the relationship wasn't the best at that time because the, in the organization, the buy-in wasn't there. So it was really not working out. So majority of the work was happening in um, the company. Uh, when I came in, then we ensured that we will bring definitely minimum of two global vendors. And we divide the work. It was also, you know, a big challenge. How do you divide the work between two vendors? Would it be per business? Would it be per topic? Would it be, you know, per language? So we did some permutation combinations, some tests and trials, and we went ahead with languages. So one of them will have certain language combinations. The other ones will take care of the other. But that would mean every project would have two vendors working on that same thing but in their set of languages and then two different invoices. But for us, it felt like, okay, this is we can manage till the time we can uh, easily have them working on the same project. And so getting them to work together was also one of the challenge because not everybody would like to share everything, right? Like the style Mm -hmm. guides and glossaries and TMs, uh, translation memories. So that it took us a little bit of fine tuning. And now both of those vendor teams became like extended IKEA translation team for us. And when I say that the work is outsourced, not all the work from the global team was sent to these two vendors. The work from the global team, when the content is created, can also directly be sent to the countries. And then the countries have to decide what to do with that. Do they go with their global provider or do they go with their internal translator? Do they go with their uh, local agency or a freelancer? So that was a huge change process that we did or is still undergoing where we made sure that these two global providers that we chose, they also start collaborating locally on a country level. So establishing one-on-one relationship with each of the country's uh, localization specialists took a long time, it's still going on, but we already saw big benefit and the positive response when the work was taken up by the global vendor versus one or two freelancers. 
the volumes that they were able to deliver, the speed at which they were able to deliver, the technology that, that our global vendors used, that was amazing. So we created some business cases in few countries, and then we showed it to the rest of the countries and then said, hey guys, look at this one. We were able to save 20 to 30% of the cost because we keep on using the translation memory. Whereas if you use your freelancer, perhaps you are not getting that and you would have to pay again and again, that's one. But what about that knowledge? Where is it being stored? You don't have any place for a TM. So that's what happened. That was a long change journey that uh, required both internal, external collaborations and a lot of meetings and travel at that time. Second thing, what has happened, and I wouldn't take the credit, uh, complete credit for that. We have now machine translations uh, that we use for internal IT service desk, uh, like live chats and um, emails that you send. So for example, if you're a coworker in IKEA and uh, in Inca, and you have uh, some issues, my Outlook isn't working or my laptop has crashed, my password isn't working or whatever issues you have, you generally send in that request. And now we have the live chat using the machine translation and using the translation memories that we had created over the last five, six years. So that is something that uh, we would like to increase in scope. And a couple of my colleagues are working on that topic. And hopefully we will be able to service quite a lot of the content that does not require too much hard written localization style or transcreation content type. So some of that we would do to increase efficiency, to, to increase the speed to the market. Those are a few changes that have happened. And now we have a dedicated localization specialist network, which wasn't there when I started. Uh, people were in very informal roles. Somebody was called translator, somebody was called a coordinator. So now we have at least one competence profile, one person dedicated per country, and then all of them belong to this network. And uh, now my successor, uh, who's in place now, uh, she will be the one taking care of that going forward for that topic. Okay, so like when you started making the, all of those changes, because those are really big changes, right? And they're very fundamental changes to the way that you were localizing stuff. Like, why do you think those changes hadn't been completed yet before you started working on them? What were the main challenges you had in just accomplishing all of that? What was blocking the organization from, from achieving it? We are all humans, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where were the human element is there, there will always be resistance to change. The level might differ. Somebody welcomes it. Somebody is questioning it till the time it is proven to be right. Or somebody is totally jumping with joy uh, to just take it on and uh, show it to the world that, yes, we can do it. So there was a different scale as you can imagine, like an amplifier going up and down. So I had to create those, you know, for all the 30 countries, I had to create that, okay, this month, who is going up, who's going down? Where are they into this uh, awareness, interest, trial adoption model, the ITA model, we call it, of change? Where are, Where is this country? And sometimes uh, a person comes in, like uh, the translation person or their manager, and suddenly things start to happen. So it was very, very human. And some sometimes we were blocked because people were afraid. Um, some people were afraid, of course, 
that the global vendors will come and take away their jobs or the machine translation will come and take away their jobs. So the change process was to make sure that people understand this is these are the tools to help you develop yourself and not take away your jobs from you, but to provide you more skill set that you can utilize and to grow yourself because you do not want to be only a translator, right? For the rest of your life, perhaps you would want to be a project manager, project leader or some something else going forward. So those are the things that we started to present, but uh, it, it definitely is, uh, it was on the human factor, I would say that that was the biggest <laughs> challenge for us to overcome. Mm-hmm. The projects that you're still managing internally, like how do you divide those between what you outsource to your global global vendors and what you're still handling in your internal team? The majority of the work goes to the global vendors now, also from the countries. If the onboarding has happened, depending on that country's readiness, because as I mentioned before, we have gone through reorganization. Still, some people are to be hired in localization specialist position. So in those countries, we are a little bit behind and perhaps we are letting them use their own old ways of working right now. But we are aiming for majority of the work to be divided in between these two providers and always on the basis of the languages that we have created, the division that we have created. But it's a lot of dependency on the projects like what I'm doing right now. So Imagine any online learning, anything that you create in terms of content has to be translated, has to be localized as well. Any learning platform that you buy or solution you buy or leadership platform, leadership training you buy. So my current work is somehow connected to my old work. And it's good that I bring in that knowledge that I'm able to bring them together and make sure that people are aware when they are starting to think about budgeting for a particular project, that they think about the localization piece as well from the very beginning, not towards the end when it is already done. And they say, well, you have one week, now get this thing done. (laughs) So that's the awareness that we are bringing in coming uh, a little bit earlier in the process. So I feel like I'm moving a little bit (laughs) the same agenda in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like after doing all of these podcasts and panel discussions and all, all the different things we do, like I think getting involved earlier in the process is something you hear a lot. And in every department, everybody's work, it's always trying to get involved earlier, trying to prevent things that are going to go wrong later. It's a common challenge. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have uh, networked with a lot of other companies and the localization managers and program managers from different parts of the world, organizations as well. And it's almost the same challenges that we hear. It depends on, again, the level of the readiness in the company, but majority of them are the same, that we are taught afterwards, not from the very beginning. Right. You could almost have a department, like a department of getting involved earlier. (laughs) For a global company, for every team, every person, like how can we help this person get involved earlier? (laughs) I believe so. That would be my dream world scenario that there is this localization department that everybody reaches out to when they start thinking or conceptualizing. And then you bring in your experience and knowledge of how much time it would take, how much it would cost. So you can guide those people 
who are creating this content in a good way and then they plan. Otherwise, it takes six months to create a copy content and then two weeks for translation, which is not fair. So we should be there at the table from the very, very beginning. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, okay, I got a question. I'm not sure if you got the answer for this, but if we think about the translation teams in corporations, I think the first thing that comes to mind is all the translation for the things that the clients or the customers see on the front end. But like you mentioned, you do a lot of translation work for like your internal team for your training purposes and so on. Do you happen to have any like percentages in mind of how much of the translation work you do is actually for internal purposes only? That is tricky to answer. Majority of the work is customer focused, but there is a lot of internal co-worker focused training, like communication and trainings and uh, pro leadership programs. So percentage wise, I would say 60-40. Oh, wow. Or 65-35, something like that. So majority yeah. would be the customer focused uh, facing mm. content. It's still quite a lot. That's cool. That sounds about right to me too. Just we that's quite a lot in the coworker uh, development. Mm -hmm. So a lot of information has to be provided in the local languages as well because we do not want to differentiate if you can speak English versus if you can't. So whatever is available, you should be able to get it in your respective language. Well, okay. So speaking of customer facing things and IKEA being a franchise system. So like when I visit, so I'm in Croatia, right? And mm -hmm. when I visit the IKEA website, it asks me where I'm at and I can only choose Croatia mm -hmm. and I can only see the site in Croatian and I can't see it in English and I can't visit an international IKEA site or at least I couldn't figure it out. And I bet I'm just guessing that that's related to somehow the Croatian franchise And however, the franchises, because that's very tricky to do online sales when you have um, franchises, right? So it's not depending on the franchise, which one or which country it is. It depends on which IP address you have. And the problem is on our side that we have not made our website available in all the languages. And if I'm an Indian person speaking maybe Hindi in Sweden, and if I want to go through and see that, that is not yet there, but that will come. So for now... It's that we did not involve or include all those languages as a package. But Netherlands was the first country now a few months ago that has now English and Dutch as both languages when you drop down and go on their website. So that has already started. But the plan is to be able to do exactly what you want, that you are Croatian. If you visit Sweden, you should be still able to see that website in Croatian language, but with Swedish products, for example. Oh, cool. Well, congratulations for rolling that out. Well, it will come. I can't take the credit for that. <laughs> it's again, other of my colleagues. It's a huge organization, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean congratulations to you <laughs> and uh, the team. The team. <laughs> team, team effort. <laughs> so one more question. What other complications does the franchise system create? Like, what are the pros and cons? Like, let's just briefly explore it because we don't often have people on who, who are working with the franchise. You are asking me what are the pros and cons of the franchise concept? No, just like for localization, like, are there any challenges that are created because it's a franchise? And then maybe there are some benefits too, or? 
Well, I would say challenges and we <laughs> are growing quite a lot. And I think it was four years ago when we moved the product development side to the franchisor side, which used to belong to before Inca Group, which was weird because product development center is catering to all the franchises, not just to Inca Group. So it was very different kind of setup. In an ideal world, the franchisor should be the one providing all the translated content to the franchisees, including the product translations and everything that comes from their side. And then on top of that, franchisees, if they want to do something else extra, they can do it on their own, which is missing at this point. That was also one of the journey we started having this dialogue and discussion with franchisor that, guys, maybe you want to take this opportunity to create an organization or, or a setup on your side. So my manager and I would always have this fun. She was like, yeah, maybe you should, your role should be on the franchisor side because then you can coordinate, you know, 11 rather than only one. It's like, yeah, could be. <laughs> so yeah, that is one of the things that is a challenge if we are not doing that. I talked to Subway, I talked to Starbucks and they have this central franchisor owned translations or localization departments which caters to all the others, their franchisees, and then the local needs are taken care of afterwards, if needed. So 80 to 20%, 80, 20%, that's the division I think that they have. They provide 80% content and that 20% is based on your local needs. So I guess that is what we should do also in IKEA. Right. And I bet that's just like one of a hundred different points of negotiation between the franchisor and the franchisee. <laughs> the... is only one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very complex setup or well, not complex setup, but franchise system is, is a complex setup in general. And it's above my pay grade, I guess, to know each and every intricacy of what all goes in there. But uh, yeah, it requires open dialogue, which we do have. So it's a good thing that we have this collaboration and close ways of working and relationship with the franchisor. Well, it's obviously working pretty well. So, so somehow <laughs> it, is, it is working. <laughs> you can't even figure out that we are franchisees. So it, it, it works very well. We are all one big IKEA family. Very true. Very true. It is really hard to tell, like we said at the beginning. That's so true. I think that was super interesting, though. Like, we've never had anyone from a franchise. And also, who would have thought that IKEA was a franchise? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to taste what It was really great talking to you. Thank you, both of you. It was really fun and glad to be able to have this conversation with you. I hope uh, it was helpful. <laughs> and uh, let's stay in touch. Definitely. Cool. I think it was helpful. I think somebody's going to find it useful. I don't know when people listen to it, actually, but they're driving in their cars on their way to work or whatever they are doing. <laughs> they're listening, though, so it must be something. <laughs> well, I thought it was useful. I thought it, it was, was useful, too. having the conversation, so <laughs> it was fun for us. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the International Bus Podcast brought to you by WordBee. To learn more about our translation management system, Check out our website at wordbee.com and be sure to subscribe to the podcast for release notifications. Until next time.